0: To the next level <laughs> a presence dark invades the fair and gives the horses ample scare chaos reigns and panic fills the air when something wicked this way comes so quickly we get into the first episode of the gateway to halloween event quick thought something was mentioned this week and i want to put my two cents out there as to how i feel about it trick or treat two so the sequel people have been waiting for it it's been teased year after year after year and again 2022 it's being teased again this time Michael Doherty himself saying it's in active development currently. And I'm of two minds on this one. I want it, but I don't. I'll explain that because I love that Trick or Treat has always been a standalone film. In a world of franchises, sequels and reboots and requels and all the other terms that you know, describe these movie franchises. I've always loved that Trick or Treat was its own thing. One film, and that's all we needed. And it's an awesome film. We absolutely love it. So I've always appreciated the movie for that aspect. However, if a sequel is to come out, and it's done by Michael Doherty, And if it's done with the same care and passion that the original was done, I would totally welcome a new entry with open arms. But it really has to be done with the utmost thoughtfulness, because that first film is just so good and so iconic that I'd be really disappointed if its legacy was tainted by by a less than worthy sequel. That's all I'm going to say on it for now. As far as I'm concerned, this is a rumor. Because we have heard this before. That Trick or Treat 2 is coming. And nothing. So, active development really doesn't tell me anything except that he'd really like to do it. And he's probably mentioned it to the studios. And they've said, okay, let's see what you got. But there's no green green light on this one yet so and with that said now let's move on to this week's show from the next level network of podcasts and studio zero week one of the gateway to halloween event from your favorite podcast what What lurks lurks behind behind podcast Podcast zero Zero. i'm your host post-mortem paul and this week is going to be a little bit different. Okay, first off, if you've been listening this far into the episode, and as you will notice throughout the course of this month, this one's for the kids. So, family-friendly material. And we'll not be talking about very macabre and depraved things the four-letter words that you are have all become accustomed to listening to on this show, they are going away for a while. We'll see how this goes, actually, because this may be the direction the show goes from now on, you know. Um, probably not, because I'm not very good at watching my mouth, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, so... For the month of October, this year, last year, if you remember correctly, I did the Universal Studio Monster Movies. I did five reviews on different movies from that, I guess you call it sort of like a franchise universe, something like that. Um, anyways, this year I thought I was going to do it a little bit differently because for some reason I've been feeling like a kid at heart these days, which is weird because I just celebrated my 47th birthday. And yet I feel younger than I did last year. It's weird. and I don't know how that... It must be that senility thing. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Anyways, uh, with the whole idea of doing family-friendly films and whatnot, I was like, okay, you know what? Let's let's go with this because there's a lot out there. Like, I mean, horror isn't just rated R movies with a lot of nudity, blood and guts, and vulgarity. There's also, there's things that we can watch as, a, you know, with our young ones, like our kids and whatnot, that can bring them into the genre. And for this week, this week being the first episode of this event, I thought, let's go with the two favorite spooky families of all time. And no, I'm not talking about the Firefly family. Even though I am dealing with their director. But um Yeah, this week we're going to focus okay, so technically the featured review, the main review of this show is the Adams Family. Ta da! The Addams Family from nineteen ninety one. I'm also adding the Munsters from twenty twenty two But the difference is, is that the Munsters will be spoiler free because it just came out. And in some places in the world, it has not been easy to access. So I thought, okay, I'm for that review. It's gonna be quick. It's gonna be sort of like my opening. You know how every week I do an opening monologue and I talk about like different movies I watched and I talk about, you know, the news and everything, which is basically what I'm kind of doing right now, except that this will be sort of a focused review and then we'll do the trailer timeout. And then when we come back from that, we'll focus full on Adam's family. So why don't we get into the Munsters? Because there's things to talk about this movie even though I'm not going to be spoiling anything, I still have some things I can bring to this review. Before I even get into that, though, I'm just going to say one thing for some of you out there. Before you even attempt to watch this movie, just know you're going to hate it. And the reason I say that is because in this world we live in, alg- algorithms, reviews, comments online, they're all going to tell you to hate this movie rob zombie made it so it's gonna suck and you're not gonna like it and some of you not not so much the audience of this show but maybe people you know they're going to they're gonna fall for it they're gonna go for it they're gonna be like yep rob zombie made it it sucks horrible cast his wife oh my god um and that's the thing i i've seen a lot of that you know I've seen people literally writing online, I will not watch this movie, Rob Zombie made it. Okay, well then, you're missing out. And I've seen people say, well, I heard the review said it sucks, so I'm not going to watch it. Okay. Um, (laughs) I guess uh, the whole think-for-yourself thing is out the door. Um, So, I I don't know, you're probably going to know people that will agree with this thought process. It's a Rob Zombie movie. His wife is Lily Munster. This movie's gonna suck. Okay, um, I'm. I'll be honest with you. Like mainstream audiences aren't even gonna catch like the little references, the little nods. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of poking and homaging. If that's a word, I don't know. Is homaging an actual word? I don't know. Someone write me and tell me. Um, but there's. Okay, you gotta remember, The Monsters, when it came out in the 60s, was sort of like... It was a tribute to the Universal Studio Monster movies. Well, there's some of that in this as well. As a matter of fact, there's like... (laughs) I don't want to spoil it, but there are actual scenes from some of these movies that just kind of like, you know, make their appearance for, you know, brief seconds. And whatnot. And then there's also... It's sort of like Rob Zombie was like, at the same time, he's this is definitely a passion project. It's his love letter to the monsters, but it's also, I felt, like a love letter to Basil Gogos and a lot of the covers from the most famous monsters of Filmland magazines and whatnot. I'll explain that in a sec. There's also some Misfit references, like if you're familiar with the horror punk band The Misfits, there was a few references to that. And there's definitely some small kickbacks to the original Munster series, obviously. And even its subsequent reboots and adaptations and whatnot. The thing is, is that before this movie came out, I already had in my mind I was going to see a ton of vitriol towards this film. And I have. I'm not surprised. What does surprise me is the amount of love I've also seen this movie get. So what did I think of it myself? Okay. So here is my thoughts, my review on The Munsters. It is not a perfect movie. No. But it's enjoyable. Definitely enjoyable. And it's a family film. You can watch it with your family. You can, Everyone can sit around and have fun with it. It's not... Devil's Rejects, where there's scenes that, like, if your parents are in the room, you're like, I'm so embarrassed and I'm watching this right now with them. Um, it's not that kind of movie. Rob Zombie made a great family flick. If I had an issue with this movie, it's one, and that's the runtime. It goes for like an hour and 50 minutes. I personally, well, I should say this. The first time I watched it, I kind of felt like it was about 20 minutes too long. And I now have the Blu-ray, which was not easy to get here in Canada, <laughs> at least not for me. Um but I do have it now, and I've obviously rewatched it because I I adore this movie. And the second time it didn't feel as long. So I don't know, it it's weird. That first time I watched it, I think maybe it was because I was sort of wondering the direction the movie was going or I don't know, maybe I was tired that morning. I don't it's kind of weird because the second time I watched it, it didn't feel like it was as long. But the first time I will say it did feel a little long. I was I, I remember, you know, telling a few people, I was like, if they had taken about 20 minutes off, made it an hour and a half, and I think it'd be perfect. I have seen people online saying, you know, they think this would have done better as maybe like, you know, a four episode little like mini series or something. I could agree with that too. But the thing is, is that I th- I have a feeling Rob Zombie was told, this is your one shot. This is you get to do this, make it count. And he said, OK, that's what I'm going to do. So he crammed as much as he could into this one movie. And I can definitely see what he's attempting with the movie. This, this is a, a, a prequel. And that's uh, that's about as far as I'm going to go with the storyline. It's a prequel. It's how Herman meant uh, how Herman Munster met Lily. That's basically what this is about. Um, now people have commented a, like like about the use of the colors because it's a very bright, colorful, lush film. And while not intentional, it reminded me a lot of Suspiria actually, uh, with the, the bright reds and the blues and the greens and whatnot. Uh, I'm quite okay with that by the way, (laughs) but, um, I can definitely see why he chose to go the color route. Also for the fact that it did come out after the movie was released that the studio actually wouldn't let him film it in black and white. The choice was sort of made for him, but at the same time, I like what he did that he went full on color because like I said, it watching this made me really think of those Basil Gogo's paintings, you know, of like Frankenstein and Dracula and whatnot, how the the colors just glow off the paintings. That's what I felt like when I was watching this. I also, I don't know how many of you are going to remember this, but, or may have even seen this. When I was younger, and I remember like around Halloween time, and you'd have Saturday morning cartoons, and they'd have these like little like interludes between the cartoons. And it would be like a mad scientist in his laboratory, and he's, you know, building Frankenstein, his monster, and stuff like that. Um, They would have them like very brightly lit with a lot of colors because it was saturday morning cartoons so of course you're watching all these colorful cartoons well then they'd have these interludes and that's what they would do it was all these bright colors and um a lot of the times it was like personalities that were from that tv channel whatever it be like here would be like i don't know Channel 7 Detroit, so they'd have someone from that channel would dress up as a mad scientist, and he's building his creation in his laboratory, and they got all those sound effects and everything going. They would have those colors as well. So when I was watching this, I'm like, it's sort of bringing me back to my childhood when I used to see those interludes. Um, But the fact that the studio wouldn't allow Rob Zombie to film it in black and white... I do like the fact that he went, okay, he said, fine, you're not going to allow black and white. Let's go the complete opposite and give you a completely saturated and popping, colorful experience. And I absolutely love it. I, I think it's great, honestly. The, um, the sets are gorgeous. And the costumes, the, the amount of detail in the costumes, especially when, like, you're, we, we get to see this in, you know, high definition. You see those little details, in all the costumes, this is definitely Rob Zombie's passion project. The music score that accompanies the film, that was done by an artist by the name of Zeus, Um, it definitely channels the spirit of the original Munster series. Uh, And if anything, even if you're not a fan of this film, uh, definitely the soundtrack is absolutely worth it. It is so goofy and whimsical and fun, and it fits the mood of the movie. Now, in terms of the actors, Sherry Moon zombie haters are going to hate Sherry Moon zombie because that's what they do. You know, they take to the Internet. I hate his wife. I can't believe he cast his wife again. She can't act. OK, um, to be fair, I actually thought she did quite well with the role of Lily Munster Um, in a way she's sort of channeling Yvonne DiCarlo, but she's sort of doing her own thing as well. Um, but it works. It it, it fits the movie. She's not overacting, but she's not underacting. She's very, she's got like an animated approach to it, but at the same time, not annoying. And we don't have that baby laugh, you know, the the laugh she did through, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects and Three from Hell and stuff. None of that. She played this straight. She did it the way it should have been done. Sherry Moon haters are going to hate, but actually she did a really good job. Jeff Daniel Phillips is actually quite all right as Herman. And let's be fair here. Okay, let's keep this in perspective. He's not going to give you the Fred Gwynn kind of performance. He doesn't have the voice. And he doesn't have the. The pinache. Let's say. Okay. Like the thing is. is He's not Fred Gwynn. So he's not going to give you that Fred Gwynn performance. The thing is. Is no one should be asking him to. That's. I get annoyed when I see people saying. Oh the OG cast must be rolling around in their graves right now. Well. Rob Zombie didn't attempt to copy that. He's going to do things differently. And if for those of you who are familiar with the Munsters that came out in the 90s, you know, there's that there's the, the family movie there, um, the Munsters' Scary Christmas and stuff like that. If you're familiar with that time era, the voices are actually very close. Um, Jeff Daniel Phillips is fine as Herman Munster. He, he's perfectly fine. There, I had no complaints watching his Herman. As a matter of fact, I I like that it was, he was somewhat over the top, but he was very fun about it. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, again, I saw complaints about it and I was like, I, it's almost like, you know how you see those memes on the internet where it's like, tell me you don't know something without saying that you actually don't know something. It's like these people that are saying this doesn't channel the original monsters. Thank you for admitting that you don't know what The Real Munsters is because this is actually pretty on point. Um, and then there's Daniel Roebuck. He plays the Count. We also know him as Grandpa, Gramps, whatever. Um, he is an extreme highlight in this movie. As a matter of fact, he might be one of the most fun characters in here. Uh, Richard Brake is great as Warlock as well. But I think Daniel Roebuck really stood out as the count. Uh, Sylvester McCoy as Igor. Not in it a lot, but when he's in it, it's so worth it. Great performance. Um, I mean, overall, the acting is not the problem with this movie. Um, I'm going to... Stop there, basically, in terms of this review. I don't want to say much else as to keep it spoiler-free. Because I think... I'm going to put this out there, okay? I'm hoping some of you, if you haven't already, might give this a chance and go in with an open mind. Find something to like in the movie. Because there's something for everybody, honestly. There really is. There's fun dad jokes, if you're into that. I mean... I I've always been that guy that's like dad jokes are so annoying but actually it was kind of fun in this movie <laughs> some of the things that Herman was saying I'm like okay that was funny and that's the thing too there's some laugh out loud moments like it's not I saw people saying Rob Zombie doesn't know how to do comedy okay I guess that's a matter of opinion because I actually had a few moments where I was like okay that was funny and I was like you know actually laughing like it's it's a lighthearted film like it's fun and that's the thing go into it realizing that original show from the 60s the the show the the Munster reboots that followed um, these people that are saying you know there's only one Lily Munster technically there's been nine actresses that have played that role just saying okay and that's including Sherry Moon Um, so there's been nine actresses who have played the role of Lily Munster there is not just one. Uh, the thing is, is that this isn't Mockingbird Lane, so you don't have to worry about that. That was, that was something that was all on its own, and it failed too, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think this should fail, and uh, as a matter of fact, I would like to see a sequel. I know, me who's like just telling you earlier about Trick or Treat, and I'm like, i like it that it's a standalone. This, I would actually like to see a sequel. I would like to actually see Rob Zombie bring Eddie Munster into this, because being it's a prequel, there's no Eddie. And that was the thing, too, going into this movie. People were like, oh, it, it look, it's stupid. He doesn't have Eddie Munster. Well, give the movie a chance, and you'll see why. <laughs> um, I will not lie, I already own the Blu-ray now. I have the soundtrack pre ordered from Waxwork Records. And my unpopular opinion of this movie is it's an 8 out of 10. Originally, I was at a 6.5 out of 10, but watching it that second time, there was so much more that I didn't catch that first time that I caught the second time, and I was like, this is an endearing little film. So, yes, 8 out of 10. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but (laughs) I personally don't care. Uh... In terms of, like I said, this week is all, this month is all about family friendly films. This is perfect to sit around with your younger, your little children, your little deadly spawns that you're going to raise into big horror fans. Like, this is a great movie to start with. It's an 8 out of 10. And now we're going to move on to the other family. We're going to do the trailer, obviously. I'm still keeping certain things within the realm of how I do this show. So there will be the trailer for our big featured review. And then when we come back, we're going to get in our time machine and go back to 1991. To a film directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, which has some of the most iconic performances in any type of movie. But also had a lot of problems. So trailer time out. And when we return, the Adams family back in a splat, kids. When we first met years ago, it was an evening much like this. Magic in the air. A boy, a girl, an open grave. You were so beautiful. Pale and mysterious. No one even looked at the corpse. Ah! Miss! Wednesday, play with your food. Is this made from real lemons? Yes. I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Then you're a handful. done this before this holiday season they'll make you feel right at home last night you're like some desperate howling demon you frightened me do it again the adams family sorry but you'll have to wait until november 22nd so quick little funny story before we get into this week's review and it does relate to this movie Uh, so yeah, this past weekend was my birthday and you know, you got to do the social media thing. You got to post the selfie and Hey, look at me. I'm cool. Peace. Hey. All right. And all that other stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I found out I had this cool thing on my phone where I can like, I can take a picture and the background can be black and white and the forefront is in color. And I didn't know I could do this on my phone and found out, Hey, look at that. That's pretty cool. So anyways, did that because you know, social media and all. And a friend of mine commented saying, looking good, Polly. So <laughs> I had to quote Wednesday Adams when I said, well, this is my costume. I'm a homicidal maniac. They look like everyone else. And it's funny because I've always said Return of the Living Dead, Empire Strikes Back. Probably those two movies above all else. I probably quote the most, maybe even Aliens. I do love saying game over, man, game over. I say that one a lot. Um, there's just some, just some quotes from movies that you just say all the time, whether they fit the context of the conversation or not. Uh, welcome to primetime bitch is another one that I love. (laughs) Anyways, it just, it kind of struck me funny. I'm putting this whole show together and I'm like, you know, I just did recently quote the Adams family. And here I am talking about the adams family from 1991 so getting into this week's review the official release date for the adams family was november 22nd 1991 uh, it did have a premiere showing like what was it the hollywood premiere or whatever in beverly hills uh, november 19th so two days before sorry three days before it'd be good if i could math right uh, anyways, so 3 days previous, they or prior to they had the Hollywood red carpet premiere and then North America was given their release November 22nd. The film, The Adams Family, is directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. This is his directorial debut. What a way to start. Like <laughs> come out with a grand slam. In normal podcast episodes, there would have been a colorful word added before Grand Slam. (laughs) And I almost slipped. See, that's why I don't know if this show could ever go full-on family because I slip. I'm very lazy. I'm not going to lie. It's laziness. And I can face my faults. uh, And I can admit them. I'm a lazy guy. I I just splooge out the four-letter words and I almost slipped there. Uh, Anyways, Barry also has a small cameo in this film. Uh, When Gomez is playing with the trains and you see that one shot where the train is going by and we see Gomez's big eyes staring inside the train and there's someone sitting inside the train, that's Barry Sonnenfeld. He's also worked on films like Men in Black with their two sequels. He worked on the sequel for this, Adam's Family Values. He worked on Wild Wild West and the Robin Williams film RV, which I don't know if any of you have seen that. It was sort of uh, that one was a little bit more under the radar than most Robin Williams films, and it's actually really good. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, yeah, he, uh, but he did work on the sequel. Not, okay, there is a third film to this Adams Family I can't even say it's Universe because it's very different. It was a direct-to-video sequel known as Adam's Family Reunion. There's, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that further on in the review, but he didn't work on that. Uh, so he basically did the two theatrical releases. And when the Adams Family was being filmed, there was quite a bit of trouble. It was a very troubled production. Uh, There was a lot of delays, and some of those delays were stemming from health problems that some of the people involved were going through, including Barry. Um, Just the overhaul of the stress of making this film really bogged him down, and it caused him to be absent at times. There was a lot of film delays. There's a lot of... I, I don't know. I wouldn't say... Is there a lot of... Let's put it this way, it was a troubled production, and the movie has been noted for that. Uh, And I mean, the film was initially supposed to be released by Orion Pictures, they had just done Silence of the Lambs and other films, they were actually on, on a high at the time. But the production costs for this movie kept going up because of all the delays and people having health problems and stuff like that, so the film got sold to Paramount who actually they finished the film they released it and it became a massive success. Now there were more problems that came from that as well. Uh, Paramount what didn't exactly get away, you know, scot free either and I will talk about that in a bit. But all of that it, it just the stress on Barry Sonnenfeld really sort of kicked him down. It's actually surprising he did the sequel because <laughs> Any problems there was with this movie, but he did return for the sequel, and awesome for that because the sequel is completely on par with this film. Now, this original Adams Family film, the writers for this film were Carolyn Thompson and Larry Wilson, based on characters by Charles Adams. Now, Carolyn and Larry, they wrote the first draft of the screenplay, they get the credit here. But it actually went through a lot of rewrites. There were several rewrites for the movie by other writers, which included Paul Rudnick. Now, Paul ended up doing the screenplay for the sequel. And so there's an interesting story to all the rewrites, especially the ending. Uh, Part of the rewrites include... Okay, so originally, Bester... Now, as as you know the story, Bester... Most of the movie, we it was up in the air. Was he an imposter or was he the real fester? Well, the original screenplay had it that he was an imposter. That it wasn't the actual fester. The thing is is that the actors really didn't like that storyline. And I, I love this, that Christina Ricci being extremely young, but she was also known to be very outspoken. She was not afraid to voice her opinions. So the other actors kind of made her the spokesperson and said, go tell them we don't like this. <laughs> and so she basically approached, you know, the writing team and said, yeah, we don't like that Fester is an imposter, especially with how well Christopher Lloyd is playing this role. He should be the real Fester. It ended up that the final act was completely rewritten, and Fester would be the real fester and not a fake. By the way, spoilers. <laughs> so yeah, um, Now, Carolyn and Larry, it's interesting because some people, when they've watched this, they said it ha- they've said it has a Tim Burton feel. Well, it's kind of funny because Carolyn and Larry have both worked on a few Tim Burton films prior to this and even post this. Um, Carolyn wrote for movies like Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas, and The Corpse Bride. And then Larry worked on Beetlejuice. Larry also worked on five episodes of Tales from the Crypt, the TV series from HBO. So I thought that was worth mentioning. But it is kind of... It's not that this is... I mean, you can tell this is not a Tim Burton film, but it does have a Tim Burton-esque kind of feel to it, especially, like, with the house and whatnot, but then again, when you think about it, Tim Burton is more than likely very influenced by the work of Charles Adams, so it all comes full circle. Produced! Producer! Producer credits for this film, Scott Rudin, and there's an interesting story with him that I'll, I have noted that I'll talk about later, but... Uh, He's been producing movies since 1980. Uh, He's got some pretty big ones under his belt as well. We're talking films that include like Flatliners, uh, Adam's Family Values, he did the sequel as well, Clueless, Sleepy Hollow, The Village, No Country for Old Men, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Ex Machina, and Annihilation. Uh, As well as he's been an executive producer for the TV series What We Do in the Shadows, which is apparently extremely successful. I know for those of you who know me very well, you're going to scream blasphemy because I still haven't watched the TV series. And it's not because I don't want to. I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh It's that whole, you know, we have that list. And there's things on that list that sometimes are on that list for years. And then eventually we finally get to them. I probably should get to this series soon. Because moving up in age, I'm not getting any younger. But anyway, it is what it is. Cinematography. Director of photography for this film was Owen Roisman. Born in 1936, Owen has been active in the film industry since 1970. Worked on films like The French Connection, The Exorcist, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Vision Quest, and Wyatt Earp. And his last film was French Kiss in 1995. Now, as for this film, though, it's kind of interesting that he gets the credit because he actually quit a month into the production. Um, He was going off to do another film. So he quit this one a month after they started. Uh, Gail Tattersall took over and then on top of that Gail ended up quitting because he was having health he was having health problems uh, it resulted in him being rushed to the hospital for a sinus infection so he had to walk away from it in the end it ended up our director Barry Sonnenfeld would finish the movie off as both cinematographer and the director and luckily, he had experience in that, so he knew what he was doing and whatnot. But and I get, I read a quote somewhere where he basically said, like, he realized that if, if the ship was going to sink, he might as well go down with it, you know, full on. So he took on cinematography and the director, uh, like the directorial role. But cinematography was credited to Owen Roysman. sort of like writing credits, you know, goes to Carolyn and Larry. Yet they weren't part of all the rewrites so it's kind of interesting how that happens uh like i said a lot of problems behind the production that led to this movie being you know pushed back and pushed back eventually to a thanksgiving release in 1991 but when would it have actually i sometimes i almost wonder would it have come out you know halloween would have made more sense the music score for The Adams Family is by Mark Shaman, and he got his start in showbiz, actually, on Saturday Night Live. He was a writer on top of that, and he did composing work as well, but he was actually brought into the, the, the film business as a writer. And then he also started composing, obviously, and he worked a lot with Billy Crystal, which makes sense because Billy Crystal was on Saturday Night Live a lot. Uh, but he worked on the Billy Crystal special that was called Billy Crystal Don't Get Me Started. That's where he started composing, Um, and before he would do The Addams Family, he did another really big movie, a Stephen King classic, well, adaptation of Misery. Uh, Yeah, so he worked on Misery before even getting to The Addams Family, and then he did The Addams Family. He's uh, composed for 70 projects. Uh, He's been involved with films like A Few Good Men, Adam's Family Values, he did both the first and the second one. Um, City Slickers and City Slickers 2. And South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. He's also been connected to the music department of Hocus Pocus. And most recently, the sequel, Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, which just recently debuted on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I will save the Hocus Pocus talk for another day. On to our starring cast. Pretty much, in this movie, you need to know who the Adams Family are and the people trying to steal their money. (laughs) That's basically about it. I mean, there was a lot of... uh, I'm going to mention it now. There's a cameo by Mercedes McNabb, who would later on go on to play Harmony on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she was actually in the sequel. Uh, I didn't write her down, but... She is in this, she is the Girl Scout trying to sell the Girl Scout cookies, which Wednesday looks at her and says, are they made from real Girl Scouts? Yes, that line, I'm not gonna lie, I quote that one a lot too, <laughs> but anyways, moving on to our starring cast, we will start with this Adams Family version of, Morticia Adams played by Angelica Houston does an amazing job with the role obviously although I think Gomez steals the show between the two of them but that's say I mean that's it's hard to say that and like make it actually mean something because the two of them just they shine gloriously on the screen she has 98 acting credits but on this show what lurks behind Podcast Zero? Primarily two stand out for me. Two that I absolutely love her performances in. And in one, she's actually not in it a whole lot, but I still love that she's in it. Um, first off, The Witches from 1990. It's a great movie. And then John Wick 3. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I, And in John Wick 3, she's not in it a lot, but she's there and I love her for it. I should also mention, though, she's been in other films like This Is Spinal Tap, The Ice Pirates... Buffalo 66, that's important to remember, and the Clint Eastwood movie Bloodwork. Uh, Morticia actually almost wasn't played by Angelica Houston. Cher originally put her name out there to play the role first off, and then Olivia Hussey was also considered for the role, but in the end it was Angelica who got the role, and bravo because she's amazing in this. Moving on to our Gomez. Gomez, played by Raul Julia. No one can replace Raul Julia! Yes, nobody should be asking anyone to try. So, leave Luis Guzman alone. Anyways. This Raul Julia. A man who was taken away from us way too soon. I will definitely say that. He was in other films like Kiss of the Spider Woman, Presumed Innocent, Frankenstein Unbound... The Rookie, and of course, I. this is me, so I'm mentioning this, Street Fighter. Yeah, he was in Street Fighter as Bison. And he also was in Adam's Family Values, I should mention that. But So, I mentioned that third film, Adam's Family Reunion. It's a direct-to-video, VHS, it's never had a Blu-ray or DVD release. It's, uh, I believe VHS is the only way it's been released, to my knowledge anyways. If there's a DVD out there, I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, I know it doesn't have a Blu-ray release. And it's, uh, that's the one, uh, Adam's Family Reunion is the one with Tim Curry playing Gomez and Daryl Hannah as Morticia. Um, as a matter of fact, in that film, only Carol Striken and Christopher Hart would reprise their roles from these first two movies they're the only two to return and the thing is is the reason for that was Raul Julia passed away in 1994 and not only that Warner Brothers had now taken over the rights Warner Brothers did go to the original cast they went to you know Angelica Houston, Christina Ricci and you know Christopher Lloyd basically said will you guys come back and play your respective roles they all politely declined because they wanted to out of respect for Raul Julia and out of tribute to his performance as Gomez they didn't want to continue on with the, the franchise which that's actually quite noble honestly They knew that they worked with a very special actor in a very special role that's probably become one of his most iconic performances, and they wanted to leave it at that. We can totally respect that. Um, It's a shame for Adam's Family Reunion because it's not a horrible film, but it really doesn't get the love that these other two films get. And I can kind of understand that. Raul Julia did pass away October 24th, 1994. He was only 54 when he passed away. Now let's talk about Uncle Fester. Also known as Gordon Craven. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. I like the story that they went with this. I like... This is, in a way, sort of like an origin story for Uncle Fester. And I kind of like that. But Christopher Lloyd is our Uncle Fester. Or... Do I just call him Doc Brown and leave it at that? Because honestly, it's between Doc Brown and Uncle Fester, I think, where the scales tip back and forth as to which is the more iconic performance. I'll talk about it later on in my review, but I think those are the two. Now, he's got 242 acting credits, though, and I've talked about him on this show before, actually, when I reviewed the Canadian movie 88. Uh, which starred Catherine Isabel. So, and that was episode eighty-eight, actually, because I remember I did that intentionally. I was like, episode eighty-eight, let's talk about eighty-eight. Um, and the thing is, is even aside from that, like he's been in a lot of films that I actually remember him from, like Mister Mom, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, obviously the Back to the Future movies. Clue, Walk Like a Man, with uh, Howie Mandel. He was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Judge Doom is an amazing character. I absolutely love that performance. He He was in Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. And I had mentioned 88. He was in that. He's been in a ton of movies and TV shows. Also currently coming up, he's going to be in Spirit Halloween, the movie. And he was cast for the third season of The Mandalorian, that's soon to be coming. Um, Spirit Halloween, what is coming to VOD October 11th, I believe. So we are not far away from that. Looking forward to checking him out in that role for sure. I know Spirit Halloween is probably going. Well, I mean we've seen the trailer. It's another gateway movie. It's another family-friendly flick, and I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Here we go, Wednesday Adams, played by the wonderful Christina Ricci, and she will be in the upcoming Wednesday series, the uh, Tim Burton one coming from Netflix. She's in an undisclosed role. We still do not know who she's actually playing in this series. I, most people have speculated they think she's going to be like a, a teacher or professor at Nevermore Academy, but who knows? It'll be interesting to see what she actually plays in this series. Now, her first feature film uh, was a role in the movie Mermaids. That was with Cher, Bob Hoskins, and Winona Ryder. And she followed that up with The Hard Way, which was Michael J. Fox and James Woods. So you got two really big films that started her career off. But it's the next role that she would portray That's probably going to follow her well past her life. It's going to follow her to the grave and then some. And rightfully so. Because it was 1991, nine months after the premiere of The Hard Way, that the world would be introduced to her portrayal of Wednesday Adams. Since then, well, she's been in some awesome flicks. Okay, awesome based on my accounts. Because some of these movies I'm going to mention, some people are going to be like... Really? You thought that was an awesome movie? Yes, I did. Uh, We're talking Adam's Family Values, obviously. She was in Casper with Bill Pullman. I love that movie. I don't care what anyone says. I love that movie. Uh, Now and Then. eh, I know it's sort of a... What do they call them? Chick flicks? But I don't know. She was good in it. Uh, Buffalo 66. Excellent movie. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes, she was in that. She was in Sleepy Hollow. Bless the Child, Monster, Cursed, I know some people are like, Cursed, really? Yes, I actually really like that movie, it, not bad. Uh, Black Snake Moan, Speed Racer, yeah, okay, uh, move past that because I know a lot of you are like, that movie sucked, I liked it actually, uh, she was in Afterlife with Justin Long and Liam Neeson. And recently was in The Matrix Resurrections. I know not everyone liked that movie either. I did. She's also worked on series like The Lizzie Borden Chronicles, 50 States of Fright, and Yellow Jackets. And here's some missed opportunities if you ask me. Because she auditioned for parts in Ghost World. Thora Birch ended up getting the role for that. That's not anything bad. But it would have been interesting to see Christina Ricci play in that. She auditioned for Interview with the Vampire. Now that would have been an interesting movie to see with Christina Ricci playing it. Here's the one that burns me. She also auditioned for the role of Ellie Creed in Pet Cemetery, The 1989 flick. She lost the role to Blaze Birdall and I feel that that's an absolute and complete misfortune that she did not get the role. I would have loved to have seen Ellie Creed done by Christina Ricci. As a matter of fact, maybe it's me being biased, but I think that would have actually been a lot better performance than what we got. But who knows? Maybe maybe they saw something in Blaze all that they were like, no, Christina can't do that. She can, whatever. I've talked about Pet Cemetery on this show before, and if you know anything about that, you know that I wasn't overly thrilled with Ellie Creed. Let's move past that now, off to Pugsley Adams, who was played by Jimmy Workman, and he only has 13 acting credits. Uh, this was basically his biggest role in both this and Adams Family Values. He primarily acts... Like, he's still in... The film industry, but he works as a tran- a transportation coordinator now. Um, he doesn't; he's not really on screen anymore. He's behind the scenes. Uh, got a, just a few more to go. Judith Molina. as Grandmama, and she was also in films like Dog Day Afternoon, Radio Days, and Awakenings. Awakenings is a really good movie, by the way. Uh, but she did pass away in 2015 at the age of 88. Carol Striken as Lurch, as stated earlier, he he's one of two actors that did reprise his role in Adam's Family Reunion, so he's in all three. He also had roles in movies like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Ewok's Battle for Endor, I had to mention that one, uh, Witches of Eastwick, he was in the Twin Peaks TV series a few episodes. Star Trek: The Next Generation. He was in that. Uh, Men in Black. He was in. He had. I think it was two episodes. I think of Gotham. He was in. Uh, the movie Gerald's Game. It's a Stephen King adaptation. And Doctor Sleep. So he's been in two adaptations of Stephen King books. Um, but yeah, he he along with the next actor that I'm going to be talking about are the only two that returned for all three Adams Family movies. And the next actor I'm talking about is Christopher Hart. Primarily his hand. He is thing. He's a Canadian actor from British Columbia and it's his hand that was famous. Not him. well, I mean obviously it's him, but his hand. And he was in all three Adams family films and he was in the movie Go Figure, Idle Hands. <laughs> so Go Figure. Um it, it, yeah, it's his hand that is famous. Elizabeth Wilson, she plays Abigail Craven, who is Gordon Craven's mother. She was also Helen Carter in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And did a lot of TV work, but honestly, I think the role we'd most remember her for is this movie right here as Abigail or Helen Carter in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. I think those were pretty much the two that stood out the most. Uh, she passed away in 1995 at the age of 94 years old. Two left to go, guys. Dan Hedaya as Tully Alford. 141 acting credits with highlights that include The Hunger, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Commando, Wise Guys, The Usual Suspects, Ransom, <clears throat> Alien Resurrection, Clueless, Swim Fan, and Slap Bass. And then there is Dana Ivey as Margaret Alford. She was in the 1985 film Explorers. She was in The Color Purple, Home Alone 2, Adam's Family Values, and Rush Hour 3, to name a few. The runtime for the movie is 99 minutes long, rated PG-13. The budget, when all was said and done, was $30 million. The gross profits. million. Congratulations to the Adams family for being a massive success. That was worldwide gross, by the way, the synopsis for the Adams family. You guys basically know this. I will read it to you, but you know, eh, when a man claiming to be Fester, the missing brother of Gomez Adams arrives at the Adams home. The family is thrilled. However, Morticia begins to suspect the man is a fraud, since he cannot recall details of Vester's life. With the help of lawyer Tully Alford, Vester manages to get the Adams clan evicted from their home. Gomez real- realizes the two men are conspiring to swindle the Adams fortune, and that he must now challenge Vester. For the next segment of this show, I'm calling this. No one survives the Bermuda Triangle. Another iconic line read off by Christina Ricci. I I do wonder, and I couldn't find much, but I do wonder how much she did ad lib, or if she ad libbed. Uh, I know that, like the whole idea of her sleeping with her like hands crossed, like you know, sort of like she's in like a, a coffin or a tomb. That was actually her idea. Um, I do know that. Anyways, obviously, let's let's go back to the roots of all of this. Obviously, this is based on the characters created by Charles Adams. And he created the characters in 1938 while working for the New Yorker magazine. There is a total of 150, unrelated, none of them, there's no continuity here. Uh, there was a total of 150 single panels that were created for the Adams family. Um, it's those panels that have influenced... What the new Wednesday series is going to look like as well. I know a lot of people really complained about Louise Guzman's Fester. If you look at those original panels, that is, or not Fester, sorry, Gomez. <laughs> I think I just said Fester. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm off the mark. Fester is the care Okay, so with this new series that's coming out, Tim Burton has said there is a Fester. He's not saying who's playing the role. They are keeping that under wraps, which really has me wondering. I don't think it would be Christopher Lloyd, but who? Who did they get? Because it's got to be a big name because they are keeping this one under wraps. It would be cool if it's Christopher Lloyd, but I don't know. Uh, But anyways, what I wanted to talk about just really quickly, those original comic strip panels from the New Yorker magazine are what influenced this new series coming out a lot more so than it influenced even this movie. There is influences in this movie though, that came from those panels as well. Um, One of the most recognizable ones is the very opening scene with the Adams basically pouring the hot tar on the carolers. Uh, Interesting movie that this movie starts off at Christmas and ends at Halloween. It's, it's really kind of because I've always felt that like both Christmas and Halloween are probably the two scariest times of the year. It's just kind of weird that, you know, people are like, but Christmas is so holy. No, it's not. Not really. Uh, <laughs> it's a creepy holiday. Um, but yeah, that that whole scene is actually from a comic panel that was featured in the New Yorker. Also when Pugsley has the road sign and they're like waiting for it and they hear the, you know, the cars collide and stuff. That's actually from one of the early comic strips as well. Um, but I will go on to say also that as well as the original panels that were done by Mr. Adams, let's not forget the 1960s TV show that lent influence to this movie. But when this movie came out, there were changes from that series. Like, for example, Fester. Now, Fester, in the TV series, he's Morticia's brother. Here, in this movie, he's Gomez's brother. And then you have Grandmama. In the TV series, she was Gomez's mother. Where here, she's Morticia's mother. Another one of those movies where there's minor changes, but does it really affect the the overall performance or reception not really um, the other thing though to note is that this version of the Adams family was quite darker than that original TV version. Some people did have criticisms towards that um, more so like the older audiences that remembered that TV series, they were kind of like, whoa, this is a little dark. I can't wait to see how dark this new series is going to get because <laughs> from that trailer, it looks like it's going pretty dark. Um, but this is a black comedy. That's the thing to remember about this movie for starters. Uh, and I mean, in terms of the darkness, like the, the more darker approach, you really see that with the kids, actually. Wednesday and Pugsley, in that TV series, they didn't dabble with death and stuff like that like they do in this movie. And in a way, I, I'm kind of glad it went that route for the movies. I mean, first off, this is theatrical, and it's in the 90s. This is not the 60s. They're Both the TV series and the movies, they're products of their time, right? So in the 1990s, what do you do that's going to sh- have that shock value? Because... In the 60s, to shock the audiences, it wasn't as hard. We're in the 90s. This is 30 years later, 30-plus years, whatever. Well, I don't know. Just under. It was about 27 years later. And how, how do you shock the audience, right? How do you do something that the audience hasn't seen? Well, they made it a bit darker, and I think it worked. Um, the idea for the movie... This is an interesting story. I did talk about producer Scott Rudin. So anyways, they apparently went to a film screening, him and a couple of other executives, uh, part of 20th Century Fox, if I remember correctly. And anyways, in the van, there, there's a couple of them in the van. And there was one man, Tom Shirak, who was at, at the time he was the marketing chief for 20th Century Fox. Anyways, his kids were in the van as well. And for whatever reason, I don't know the full story, but for whatever reason, the kids started sing, singing the original Adam's Family theme, to which everyone else in the van apparently started singing as well. And it was a whole little karaoke kind of orgy, I guess, or whatever. Anyways, the next day, Scott Rudin wakes up and he approaches Barry Diller and Leonard Goldberg, who they were also in the van apparently that day. And anyways, he pitches to them the idea that let's make an Adams Family movie, and they agreed. So that's how that all came up. Now, as for the Adams Family theme that those kids were singing, well, it almost didn't end up in the film. Barry Sonnenfeld, he, for whatever reason, wanted to leave it out of the movie. I think he kind of wanted to just do his own thing. But there was an early trailer that was released in which a clip it of the original theme was used and people totally embraced it. It it, it worked very well. There was positive reactions to that trailer. So he opted to go the route he honestly should have been going in the first place. He had the theme put into the opening sequence. I believe it's the only spot in the whole movie that we actually hear that theme. I'm okay with that. That's all we really needed. Um, Before diving into the quick eight, I will talk about one other trouble that the movie had in terms of its production. And that was in the form of a lawsuit that came from David Levy. David Levy was the creator and producer of the original TV series in the 1960s. And he claimed this was part of his lawsuit when this movie came out he felt that a lot of his ideas that he had brought to the TV series were stolen and he was not credited for them. Um, Ideas like Gomez blowing up the model trains, uh, the characters of Lurch and Cousin It, uh, Lurch playing the harpsichord, the tango dancing that Gomez and Morticia interact in and whatnot. Anyways, those are things that he brought to the TV series. They didn't come from the comic strips. And when the movie came out, we see a lot of this happening. Uh, I believe even some of like the sword fencing and whatnot was his idea as well. He was like, where was my credit? So it was later settled out of court. And as a matter of fact, after the release came out and it was so successful, the sequel was greenlit as well. But that was just another one of the problems that this movie went through. That Barry was like, are you kidding me right now? Please stop. <laughs> the quick eight. So these are my quick eight, uh, my points that I took away from the movie, things that I like, things that I might not have liked, whatever. I started doing this and I really liked the whole flow that it brings to the show. So I'm doing it as well for this. Number one, the movie being both like and unlike the TV series, but in a fun way that allows fans of old, like some of us elder fans that remember watching it on TV and whatnot, were able to enjoy the series as well as the newer fans who this was their introduction to the Adams Family now, we've seen a lot lately with the upcoming Wednesday series you see two kinds of comments that are coming, those who appreciate and are remembering the comic panels in the original TV series, and the other adaptations that have come out as well, the cartoons and the two animated movies and whatnot. And they're okay with the way Wednesday looks. And then you have a lot of people who I don't want to say a lot, I should say a vocal minority on the social media that keep comparing it to the 1990s movies. And I understand that for some people, the 1990s movies was their introduction to the Addams Family, it was their first Adams Family, and kind of like they always crack the joke with Doctor Who, you always remember your first Doctor, well you always remember your first Gomez and Morticia. For me, it was the TV series, and I am very partial to that. For some people, it's these movies. And the thing that I do like about the movie is that it's its own thing, but at the same time, it does homage the comic strips. It does homage the TV series, but it's also darker. The humor is on point. It's well thought out. It's fun spirited in a macabre way. So therefore it's enjoyable for all. The only thing that I wish is that in this current era of social media criticisms, People didn't always just act like it's the only Adams Family. There is many other iterations out there. Try to embrace it all. But that being said, I do love that this is both like and unlike the TV series. Number two, the fun Easter eggs. And I've already mentioned about the opening scene with the carolers. That is Straight out of the comic strips. Um, And obviously the Pugsley sign. And there's other ones as well that just aren't coming to my mind at the time. But those two I do remember. There is a fun and subtle egg though that happens in this movie that the first time I ever saw it, it put the biggest grin on my face because I was so happy that something was given a nod to from the original TV series. And that's when Morticia is attempting to be the preschool teacher. And She's reading them the story of Hansel and Gretel and mentioning about the death of the poor defenseless witch. Now, that's funny that they did that because in the very first episode of The Addams Family, back in 1964, and that episode is The Addams Family Goes to School, Hansel and Gretel was the book being debated by the Adamses when they were reasoning why Pugsley and Wednesday wouldn't go back to school. They were concerned about the hideous nature of violence towards the witch and they felt it was extremely troublesome and I believe there's also mention about the the killing of the dragon and so it's it, it, when you're a fan of the original show and I remember seeing this movie for the first time and Morticia is reading Hansel and Gretel of the kids and I was like that's awesome because that was in the first episode of the tv series so it's little nods like that that make the movie very fun because, again, like I said, giving a nod to its predecessor. Number three, the sets, the makeup, and the attention to detail. You can tell this is an Adams Family movie. You can tell it's the Adams Family. There's no question. Even though it looks a little bit different, some different types of performances and whatnot, it's still an Adams Family movie. There was a pilot episode for The Munsters. It was a reboot. Some of you might remember this. Most of you probably not. And <laughs> don't worry, it's probably good you don't remember it. There was a show that NBC was releasing called Mockingbird Lane, in which those characters looked nothing like their original counterparts. Like, I mean, nothing. It's funny when I hear people complaining about Rob Zombie's monsters and are like, Sherry Moon doesn't look like Lily Munster. Actually, she does if you're familiar with the 90s monsters. But, anyways, aside from that, you can tell when you're watching the Munsters that that's the Munsters. You can tell when you're watching this Adams family that this is the Adams family. I understand trying to put a new spin on existing intellectual property. I get that. But I think it's still important that you have to keep some form of familiarity to. Familiarity. <laughs> that's a hard word for me to say sometimes. Um, There's an elder fan base, and you have to remember that. And The Addams Family, when I was watching this, it's like you can tell who's Gomez, who's Fester, who's Morticia, who's Wednesday and Pugsley. They look like their counterparts. They're a little bit different, mannerisms and some of the things that they do, but you can still tell it's The Addams Family, and especially now in this current era. And this is why I think the Wednesday series should do pretty good, and this is why I'm very fond of the Munsters movie, We are living in an era where like people cannot wait to jump online to criticize, criticize something like the internet is there to tear souls apart. (laughs) I'm mentioning that because of a certain movie coming out at the end of this week that the internet will probably tear apart, but hopefully they won't. There's been a lot of positivity surrounding that. Anyways, my whole thing is, is don't give your enemies a stick to beat you with. And this movie gets all the aesthetic, right? The aesthetics, right with flying colors. So, for that, it took that stick out of the hands of everyone and said, Haha, you can't beat us. We did give you an Adams Family movie. Part four, point four, I should say, not part four. If only there was an Adams Family part four, it would have been kind of interesting. But unfortunately, Adams Family reunion did not get the reception they wanted. So, it ended there. Anyways, the pacing and the runtime are just perfect. This movie never feels like it's overstaying its welcome. As when I was talking about The Munsters earlier, I said, eh, it felt like it could have shaved a bit of time off that. Uh, This movie flows perfectly. I did see online reviews and critics felt that there was, you know, because for me, the, the story flows in perfect sequence, and the film never feels like it's losing its luster, but apparently for others, they felt that it was scattered. I didn't get that. I didn't see where I, I thought it was pretty coherent. It was pretty cohesive and it has a, you know, a linear storytelling. I don't understand where the problem was, but for me personally, the pacing and the runtime are just perfect. It works great. I never feel like the movie is too long. Whenever I put it on, it's like, I want to sit through the whole thing because I don't feel like I'm, you know, halfway through the movie going, has it done yet? No, it, it, it keeps my interest. It keeps my attention and it's on point. Point number five, the music score by Mark Shaman, using just a touch of the original theme by Vic Mizzy. I should mention that he did the original score for the TV series and a little bit of his theme does pop up in the beginning of this movie. But at the same time, Mark Shaman makes it his own. And after that, it's like a fun, whimsical score that sets the mood perfect. It complements the scenes adequately. Nothing feels out of place. In a way, it's almost got a bit of a Danny Elfman feel to it, but it's its own thing at the same time. And I do like that. Now, this is the, the final three points are really big. Number six, Gomez and Morticia. Raúl Julia and Angelica Houston are wonderful in their respective roles. Now, as I said earlier, and I will restate this one last time, I am more of a John Aston, Carolyn Jones original TV version person myself. But I'd be lying if I, you know, if I said I didn't think Raúl Julia and Angelica Houston were delightfully mad, endearing, enchanting. There's. The descriptions I could come out with their performance, they're perfect. Their roles, they absolutely shine in the darkest way when they're on the screen and it's pure magic. And I absolutely love them for it. It is, they definitely, when people, when I see on the internet and people will say, this is my Gomez and Morticia, I can understand it. I totally get it. Me personally, like I said, John Astin, Carolyn Jones are my thing, but I totally get the whole, you know, 90s Adams Family is Mike Gomez and Morticia. I get it. Trust me, I absolutely get it. Point number seven, Christopher Lloyd as Vester. Now, here's the thing about Christopher Lloyd is that most people will go to his Doc Brown and say that was his most memorable role. There are a few people that will go to Judge Doom from Roger Rabbit and say that's his iconic role. There's even a few people that I know personally that might... Think of him as Professor Plum, you know, from Clue. But for me personally, whenever you mention Christopher Lloyd, the first thing that pops in my head is Fester Adams. This is a glorious performance. And not to compare again, but I mean, as much as I'm a Jackie Coogan fan, you know, his, his Fester is definitely iconic and fun. Christopher Lloyd makes a huge argument for who I'd actually pick as my favorite, though. I mean, it's very close. And for the most part, I try not to think of it that way. It's like they're both (laughs) fester. They both do amazing things with the role. I can't pick a favorite when it comes to that. It's really tough for me. John Aston, Carolyn Jones, as Morticia, or as Gomez and Morticia, I can justify why I picked them as my favorite. When it comes to Fester, Fester is one where I'm like, damn, <laughs> I'm really like stuck here. Like, I, It's that good. It's that good of a performance. Um, and it definitely deserves to be one of the top eight because it's something that when I watch this movie, like I look forward to seeing his presence on the screen. Point number eight. This is the big one. And this is why I can see why we are getting a series focusing on this character. The performance of Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams is hands down the performance that takes the cake of all Adams Family properties. And I'm, again, I may love that TV series, but Lisa Loring has nothing on Christina Ricci. Nothing. Hands down, this is the best performance in this movie. And it's no wonder people can't let it go. As much as I usually say, you know, let the girl move on, you know, let her have, let her go do other things. But <laughs> I get it again. It's one of those things where I, you know, it, as a podcaster and, you know, a critic of social media, I do get annoyed with it sometimes. But at the same time, it's like, I, I get it. I, I, I totally get it. It's a superb display of top notch acting. And considering she was so young at the time, like when this came out, she was, I'm trying to think, well, she's born in 82 and this came out in 91. So we're looking at possibly around eight or nine years old when she does this role. And that says a ton about how talented she really was and still is. She's still a top notch actress. Um, everything from the one-liners, you know, are they made from real girls, girl scouts, the homicidal maniac thing, the, um, you know, the deadpan expressions that she has throughout this whole film, the grin on her face when she's electrocuting Pugsley, you know, <laughs> just when she's got the, the bow and arrow and she's about to, you know, or Like shoot the the apple out of his mouth like I mean here's the thing with her Wednesday Adams okay this is how I approach this you think Karloff's Frankenstein's monster you think Fred Gwynn Herman Munster Robert Englund's Freddy Krueger they just can't be topped no one should be asking anyone to try and top it you know and that's me hinting at the whole Jenna Ortega thing like stop asking her to be as good as Christina Ricci or say she won't be able to we shouldn't be asking her to. Jenna Ortega's going to do her own thing. And hopefully it, re- it works, and hopefully it's really good. From what we've seen in the trailers, I think she's going to do just fine. But you are not going to top Christina Ricci, and no one should be asking anyone to try and do it. Do your own thing. You know what I mean? And that's getting back to the Munsters. That was what I appreciated about Rob Zombie's movie was He wanted to make an homage. He wanted to make a passion project. And at the same time, he knew, I can't touch certain performances. No one's going to come close. I'm not going to try. With Christina Ricci's Wednesday Addams, no one, I cannot see anyone, at least not in my lifetime, that is going to top that thing. And we shouldn't be asking anyone to. It is, without without a doubt, it's a 10 out of 10 performance. And it's probably... For me, personally, one of the all-time highlights of this movie. Rotten Stinky Tomatoes has this movie at a 66 approval rating. That's hurtful. IMDb at least a little bit higher with 6.9 out of 10. 7, 6, and 8 being the top three ranking votes. Okay, I can deal with that. Metacritic has this criminally underrated at 57% with mixed to average ratings podcast zero rating here's where I stand on this this is a fun movie it's iconic it's ooky and kooky and lovable in all the right ways I'm not sure how people can find fault in this movie I know Cinema sins picked on it and it is actually pretty funny um, but the thing is is that with this movie the Adams family movie is a parody of sorts it's it's a comedy it's it's black comedy but it's still a comedy it's meant to give us laughs it's meant to be a bit far-fetched know, like another movie that just came out recently. But anyways, uh the the whole thing is is that when I do see criticisms online, it's like I think people approach it too seriously. This is meant to be a lighthearted film. But then I also think about this. I will because of the podcast and because I'm doing this solo, is why I have to, you know, use reviews and comments online as sort of a counterpart to my thoughts. But all that really should matter about movies, this movie or any movie, is how we feel about it. I really don't care if Leonard Moulton hates Gremlins 2 or if he hates Rob Zombie movies. I don't care if Roger Ebert or Gene Siskel are butthurt about slasher films and feel they're, you know, stupid. Okay. At the end, at, at the end of it all, it should be how I feel about this movie. How do they, how do these movies make me feel? And it's the same for all of you. You guys will listen to my show for my reviews and whatnot, but you have your own opinions. I'm not gonna tell you your opinions are wrong because you know how the movies make you feel. This movie for me, it scratches that itch. That good old family-friendly, spooky, fun. That's what this movie does. I know it's PG-13, probably because some of the humor is quite dark, but it's still a family flick that I, I know so many of my friends. They've watched this movie with their kids. I remember watching it. What, 1991, I was just a teenager at the time it came out, whatever. It, and I never felt like it was like one of those movies that I had to be embarrassed that I liked or anything. No, you wore this movie with pride. It was like, this movie's awesome. And that's exactly what it does. It scratches that itch. When you don't want to watch something so depraved like The Sadness or Terrifier. You know, when you don't want to watch, like, mind-numbing gore. But you just want something spooky and fun. Adam's Family does it. It's nine finger snaps out of ten. I know, you all heard the (sniffs) finger snaps. Yes. Iconic as it is, right? Uh, But yeah, this movie, it just does it. It's just... I, I'm i not saying the people that criticize the movie that they're wrong because for whatever reason, they didn't like what they saw or they felt that it was average or plain. They're wrong, but <laughs> I don't know. When, when I approach the Adams Family, I expect lightheartedness and I expect something that, yeah, it's going to be fantasy. That's what I expect. I mean, I like that a movie with a fantasy sort of approach has influenced so many real life relationships. I mean, to be fair, if we're going to be really honest about the Adams family for being the outsiders, for being the out of the norm family, they're probably more normal than most quote unquote normal people, which is the whole point of the Adams family and the Munsters for that matter which is why I wanted to do both families in one episode, because that's the whole point of it. They're more normal than the normal people. And they see things in a way that we should actually see things as humans. And that's at the bottom line. Does this movie hit that note? Yes, it does. Even though you've got pugsley sitting in an electric chair <laughs> it's still they approach life better than most people living today and on that note thanks for listening hey i went the whole show with a four letter words i think i said bitch once <laughs> i don't know um yeah I can do family-friendly episodes, kids. Um, so, yeah, anyways, on that note, no, seriously, thanks for returning. Thanks for coming back. Uh, the show this year has really grabbed an audience out there, and I'm very humbled by it. When I When I see some of the numbers for some of these episodes, it's... It makes me feel really good that there are people out there enjoying the show, and I knew that for the month of October, I wanted spooky season, as uh, the normal people call it. Um, I wanted to do another event. Last year was a lot of fun doing the Universal Studio Monsters and whatnot. I was like, what do I do this year? And I thought, you know what, let's really have fun with this. Let's not go full on beating you over the head with blood and violence and gore horror films or talking about obscure films that nobody knows anything about. Let's talk about some friendly, some family flicks, family friendly flicks that are also quite popular. You'll find that with next week's episode, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be another movie that actually quite a few people saw and embraced. And the only thing about doing this event, there won't be a lot of criticizing going on. But that's okay. We really don't need to, um, because not. Ev- that's the thing. Not everything has to be some dramatic criticism either. Like there is this idea that we can watch movies and enjoy them. And what's wrong with enjoying a movie, right? So, anyways, yes. Thanks for tuning in for episode one of five. There will be five episodes for the Gateway to Halloween event. This is the first one. It means we got four more to go. Next episode. We're going with an animated one. We're going with a little fun, little ditty from 2012. Uh, episode 131 is going to be headlined by the stop-motion epic known as Paranorman. Yes, that will be the next episode. We're going Paranorman. I wanted to do an animated flick. I needed to do at least one in there somewhere that there was me an animated film. Um, I have done animated films on this show before. I've done Alien Xmas. I've done. Uh, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and whatnot. So it's like, it's got to be at least one animated film. And Paranorman is it. By the way, the show, you guys know. I always say this, but at this point, is it really necessary? Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, FM Player, CastBox. CastBox is the weird one that for some reason is not updating anymore. So if you're still using that, uh, I do not know why. It's not updating. I think the last three episodes are missing out there, and it's not showing up. So for whatever reason, I I, I don't get that. Uh, Podbean does carry the show as well. Uh, You can find it on Red Circle. Um, Also, usually when I post this on social media, I do put the pod link uh, on there as well. Social media, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And there's the email, what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. One last little thing I do want to say before I end this show off is there are certain names that pop up uh, consistently on social media. Uh, some of them are personal friends, but some of them are, I guess you would call them strangers. They're not really strangers to me anymore, though, because I see their names a lot to the many of you that are constantly popping up Uh, TJ Jacob Tristan PJ uh, Giancarlo Minto uh, Aaron Mel uh, all of you some of like I said some of you are personal friends some of you are not you guys are great I love the fact that you are always uh, Stephanie is another one by the way I cannot forget Stephanie I, I appreciate so much that you guys are always interacting and showing up on social media and the reason why it's important to me is because I hate social media and when I see your names pop up it, it makes it feel like okay it's still worth it to be here because personally I hate the complaining I, I know here I am complaining right now about it but, <laughs> but the thing is, is that it's very annoying and it's very energy draining and then when I see the positivity that comes from many of you that means a lot to me so thank you so much for that um like I said, next episode will be Paranorman. Also differently for the episodes for the next foreseeable future of the month of October, I will not be ending off with Al Pacino telling me where to go. We've made this family friendly up to this point. He can go calm himself down somewhere else. We'll let someone else end this show off. The L stands for Lucifer. Very appropriate for a politician.